0: So, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, we are concluding our sermon series, Body Language, and talking about um, that we are the body of Christ. We are called to be the hands and feet. We are called to be the voices that speak out. Christ is our mind, and and so uh, we're supposed to learn what that means and what it means to think with the mind of Christ, and then as the body of Christ, both collectively, but also individually, we have a responsibility to be a part of what Christ is doing in the world. And so we, we've been using the, the metaphor of body because Paul uses that metaphor as he writes that in 1 Corinthians. A little bit of reference in 2 Corinthians. He also references it in, in other letters that he wrote. But the whole idea is that uh, we are called to be Christ to the world. So we've been talking about, again, the collective body of Christ, but also how we individually plug into that. And so we're going to continue that today uh, for the last uh, day on, on uh, the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Next week, we'll start into the book of Galatians and uh, talking, well, we're, the sermon series is entitled An Apostle's Epistles. Um, just because it's hard to say, I thought I'd bring it up. 2nd Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 6, what I mean is this, the one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop. And the one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I mentioned last week, and I have to confess that uh, I experienced something last week that uh, many of you have experienced as well. Um, My mother-in-law passed away, not yesterday, but a week before, and I talked about it last Sunday as if it had happened two days before. And, and that, those of you who have experienced the loss of a close loved one, um, uh, experience that disorientation that comes with that. And I was talking about it like I was absolutely confident that, you know, it happened a couple days ago. But it was just 24 hours old. My wife called me on that, by the way. And, um, but she said that, that she, she was so upset that I got the dates wrong that she could make it through the sermon. <laughs> so... <laughs> But I want to talk about her once more um, uh, because we'll we'll do the memorial service this afternoon. But um, uh, my um, mother-in-law was a very generous woman. And um, uh, Pat uh, Pat apparently um, at some point in her life had given to some charity that does fundraising through mail order. Because when Pat had an incident in her home and it became apparent that she just could not live alone anymore, we moved her into our house and forwarded her mail to our mailbox. And we went from two or three bills in our mailbox to hundreds of mail order, charity mail type of stuff. I mean, I I just can't even begin to understand overestimate how many mailers we got in the mail each day, each week, each month. It, it was just piles of it, unbelievable piles of it. And, and at some point you go, golly, how much is enough? Did you know there are 1.5 million, this, is, this number comes from 2015, I haven't updated it, 1.5 million 501c3 organizations in the nation. Now, 501c3 means that's the IRS code that allows you, if you contribute to that organization, it allows you to, uh, um, to use that as a tax-deductible contribution. If that's the way your taxes work out, you know how that all goes. But it also allows the organization to be tax exempt through the state, if their state allows that. So, um, 1.5 million... Of those um, some of those are are churches and and some of those are are charities for animals and charities for people and 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 um you know so apparently at some point in her life um, she had contributed to to um, uh, not for profits that were Democrats and not for profits that were republicans. Her mail was bipolar it was it was just Amazing to see all of that. And, and, and you just, it's fair to ask how much is enough. Truthfully, there are many great causes out there. And of those 1.5 million, I can't begin to count how many are, of, of them are meaningful and how many of them are, well, it's not for me to judge, not for me to decide. I mean, you know, how can you, how can you get upset with an organization that, that, that takes uh, uh, wounded animals and, and brings them back to healing and wholeness? And how can you get upset with, with an organization that, that takes abused children or, 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 or adults and, and, and helps them find healing and wholeness in their life? You know, uh, and all of those sorts of mailings came in our mail, but at some point you ask, how much is enough? And I know it's fair to say that churches are guilty of that as well. So, so many of those appeals that she received were religious in nature. But, but hey, you've probably gotten something in the mail from this church. We we do that from time to time, and, and usually it's once a year. But but you know th- this church, uh, you know we ninety five percent ninety to ninety five percent of our, our total incomes comes through the offering. Another 5% of our, our operating um, income comes through our Christmas miracle offering. I'm going to talk about one of our signature missions later in, in the service. But, but, and, and, then, and then some of the money comes through uh, um, people who, who um, through their wills and bequests and things like that. And we have an endowment fund. Maybe you didn't know that. Um, we have an endowment fund to handle that properly. And then on occasion, you'll hear a special appeal. Um, Our our leadership board decides when those happen, but you'll hear a special appeal. My preference and and what we try to do is if there's a disaster that that you can give funds for relief, we'd rather just direct you to a a web link that we trust and let you make that direct contribution. Otherwise, we take the money, we count it, we deposit it on Monday or Tuesday, and we write a check on Thursday, and it finally gets mailed on Friday, and then it, it... why wait? Why not get it to the people as quickly as possible? But nevertheless, it's fair for you to come to a point where you, you just ask the question, okay, church, how much is enough? And, and I got to tell you, I, I count myself among you when I think about all the different appeals. I get those appeals as well, and I get exasperated as well. The sermon title, um, if I stick my hand in my heart, did anybody refer- here... Kind of a familiar reference for that? Anybody know maybe where that comes from? It's, it's actually, I've, I've changed the words to it. So if I stick my hand in my heart, the Rolling Stones wrote a song called It's Only Rock and Roll. And um, part of the reason for writing that, it was actually kind of a twofold reason. One was because they always felt the pressure to write the next song better than the last song. And, and, and also felt pressure because they were writing mostly in the 60s and 70s to write songs that were politically motivated. Civil rights and, 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 uh, and, and save the trees and stuff like that. And they were, they were always feeling that pressure. And so actually the, the opening songs to that, the words to that song is if I stick my pen in my heart and spill it all over the stage, would it satisfy you? Mick Jagger's asking, how much is enough? And I think it's fair for us to to, to say to, to to God sometimes in prayer, God, if I stuck my hand in my heart and spilled it on the stage, how much is enough? Would that satisfy you? Would that be enough? Would that get me there? In, in, uh, in the Old Testament, there were a couple of prophets that kind of addressed these questions. And, and so one of them is, is Micah. And in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, Now I'm going to come around to verse 8 in a minute, but, but start with 6 and 7. Micah asks this question, with what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings, with year-old calves, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and many torrents of oil? And you could hear that frustration in His voice. "How much is enough, God? How much is enough? But Amos, another prophet, Amos, speaks the voice of God in, re- in reply. And you could hear the frustration in God's voice. I hate, I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. If you bring me your entirely burned offerings and gifts of food, I won't be pleased. I won't even look at your offerings of well fed animals. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. It's bad enough that we ask, How much is enough? But what about when God says, Enough is enough? Enough is enough. But God doesn't leave us there, thank God. God doesn't leave us there to, to wonder and to struggle and to, to be frustrated with it. God gives a response. You see, in Old Testament times, that offering was uh, about making a, a transactional relationship. And, and so the, the offering was the, uh, um, the sacrifices that you gave, and, and if you read, especially in, in Exodus and Leviticus, you read all those sacrifices are outlined and you can memorize them and learn about them. And I don't even know them, so have fun with that. Um, but there are sacrifices for all sorts of different things. But principally, the sacrifices were about getting yourself right with God. It was a transactional relationship. God, I give you this, you forgive me that. By the way, this is how it ended up working over time. God, I give you this. You forgive me that. I'll be back later because I'm going to need you to forgive me again. And then, and then the, the, the people who were running the sacrifices, the priests at the time, were abusing the system as well. And God recognized that this transactional relationship was not leading where God needed it to go, and that was to a loving relationship with God. What God didn't want was a transaction. What God wanted was a loving relationship. What God wanted was that relationship that he had with Adam before Adam screwed up, right? God wanted that relationship that he had in the Garden of Eden. I want to just walk with you and talk with you, the old hymn goes. I just just want to spend that time in the Garden together with you. I just want to have that that loving relationship with you. And humanity takes the, the sacrifice and makes it transactional. And God says, enough of that. I'm going to make a transaction, and it'll be the final transaction. Instead of you bringing to the altar your sacrifice, I'll bring the sacrifice. And God sends his son, Jesus Christ, puts his own son on the altar of sacrifice. We remember that every week when we do communion. The bread is the body of Christ broken for us. The blood, the the cup is His blood poured out for us. Christ is the one on on the sacrificial altar, God makes the sacrifice, says no more transactions. I've taken care of that. We're going to go a different way now. We're going to have this relationship of love. We're going to have this relationship that's different, that works in a different way. Now, if you think about that passage from Micah that I read a minute ago where, where the Micah is frustrated, God, what can I bring to you? Micah then also gives God's voice in the verse right after it. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What's the transaction that he wants? But that you do justice, that you love mercy, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. And then Amos, in the the verse right after what I read from Amos, Amos also chimes in with God's own words, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Justice, kindness, righteousness. That's what God wants out of you. That's the relationship God wants to have with you. It's not about the offering. And you're sitting there going, yeah, but Dave, you're going to pass the plate when this is done. Yes, I am. Actually, I'm going to let the ushers do that. So if I painted myself into a corner, fair question. I believe the offering serves two primary purposes for the church. The first purpose is that when God created the church, I believe that God created the church as a place to train you in justice and righteousness. We come to church, not just on Sunday morning, but our small group, our Sunday school, our our devotions that we read, all of that, we, we do that to train ourselves in a righteous living that is lived out outside of here in activities of justice and mercy in the world. So the first part is that the church's job it is to train you in that. And the second part is that the church provides you the opportunity then to go out and do it. That's what the offerings about. It's no longer about a transactional relationship with God that God I do this therefore you must do that. Because that's a control thing. You think you got any control over God? Try praying a while. God thinks prayer is about a relationship. You think it is about begging God for something on your list. God wants to have a conversation with you. You want to offer your demands. It's not a transactional relationship. It's a relationship built on love. So the offering is, is, is about engaging in that loving relationship with God as we train ourselves in righteousness. Righteousness just means to live yourself, live your life right before God. Train yourself in righteousness and, and, and then how to live in a just way in the world. How to live in a way that that makes a difference in the lives of others. The offering is no longer about what we do to control God. The offering is about how we partner with God with what God wants to do out into the world. Let me tell you this. Is Kim in here? I don't remember if she was in the last year. Kim's our business manager. This gives her hives. If you are making an offering because you think that somehow that will control God, just Stop. Because it's frustrating you and it's frustrating God. There's no need for that. That's not what the point is, not what the reason is for it. In, in, in the passage that I read today, um, verse 7 says, everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. Now you need to know what's going on before that and what the setup to that. Um, Paul has told the people in Corinth, hey, we're collecting an offering that we're going to deliver to Jerusalem because there are people there who are suffering. And we need to make a difference in their lives. And financially, we're going to do that. And and he says, I'm going to send a couple of people that are going to collect your offering. And and it sounds, if you read it with a 21st century ears, um, you'll, you'll read it and it sounds like, did anybody ever see the movie Caddyshack? A few years, a long time ago. So in Caddyshack, the, the, the last um, scene, not the one with the gopher dancing, but the scene before that, in Caddyshack, um, it, it's a, c- the conclusion of a golf tournament. And Chervik is um, this kind of outlandish um, uh, real estate developer who challenged Judge Smales, the very devout and, you know, to a golf match and with people um, on either team, and 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 Chervik's team wins, and there's a bet, and Smell says, "I won't pay you the money." And and Chervik turns to these two guys. He says, "Moose, Rocco, help the man find his checkbook." And that's what it feels like when you read this in, in 2 Corinthians. You read that. It, it sounds like Paul's sending Moose and Rocco to help the man with his checkbook, to help the people in Corinth get money out of their pockets. It wasn't Paul's intent at all. I really don't believe that he intended it to be heavy-handed. He intended it to be so that the right people are making sure that the right money gets to the right place. That's what they were going there for. So that they knew that, the, that people they could trust were going to take the offering to Jerusalem. But in the midst of that, in the context of that, he says, look, I don't want you to give in a hesitant way. I don't want you to, to give in, in a way that you feel forced or intimidated because God doesn't even like when you're upset. God loves a cheerful giver. So give out of, out of, out of your heart. Give out of, out of what makes the most sense for your life. And God in, in, in Jesus Christ has moved our offering from that sense of the transaction, God, if, you'll, if I'll do this, maybe you'll do that, to something more relational. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I'm a materialistic guy. I, I, I love, you know, my iPhone, and I, I love my stuff that I have. I love, I, um, but I also recognize that when I give to something that, that my heart is really really um, grabbed by, I'm cheerful about it. And so, uh, um, even in the midst of my own materialistic sense, I drive a 1997 Ford Ranger. It is not a classic car. It's an old beater, and uh, um, I have gotten to know the guys at the mechanic shop just across the street there, um, because it's there frequently, but it's paid off. And you should see the insurance payment on a 97 Ford Ranger. It doesn't take much. And because of that, I could be a little more generous in other areas of my life. Now, I, I didn't say that to guilt you into to trading in your car for an old beater, but just, just think about in, in your mind, what are the things that, that, that grab your heart? You see, Jesus teaches us um, in this one passage, Jesus simply says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and what I, I think Jesus is recognizing that the things that we are invested in, our heart will follow. The things we're financially invested in, our heart will follow. If you own stock in Walmart, your heart is at Walmart. I've just picked that as one. If you work there, I'm sorry, I apologize. Let me put the disclaimer through. But, but So, what are you invested in? Where, where, where does your money go? What are the things that you poured into? You see, I don't want my heart to be poured into my car, and I don't want it to be poured into my house. and I, I, I want it to be poured into the things that I really do care about, the things that I, that, that I think make a difference. And I, I do think that the church makes a difference. And so I, I do. The, the majority of what Nancy and my giving is, is to the church. But there are other things, too, that we look at. And, and I, I think about my granddaughter, Vivian, who, who um, was, was born real early, um, uh, premature. And, and so we give to the March of Dimes. My, my mother-in-law, Pat, um, she died from, from Alzheimer's. I'm pretty sure that's going to be on our giving list. Nancy and I are uh, years ago. We, we saw um, what, what uh, the, the difficulties, the struggles in, in, in uh, uh, the country of Haiti and, and the earthquake that went through there, and so many children left homeless. And, and uh, we hooked that on to um, Compassion International. And, and we sponsor two children monthly at $72, I think it is, it goes to Compassion International so that Samuel and Twessie, those are their names Samuel and Twessie, uh, can have a better life. They can be fed, they can be clothed, they can, they can have medical care, they can learn. What about you? Where do you want your heart to be? You know, one of the things that we did at, at Living Word was we decided that the, that the uh, um, Christmas offering would go to uh, multiple charities, but not, not a whole bunch, but a narrow number that we call Signature Missions. And uh, next month we'll begin the process of deciding who the the uh, uh, signature missions will be for 2019 offering, Christmas Eve offering. Um, but one of those signature missions um, is uh, um, Merrimack School. Um, we call it balancing the scales because we want to we want to try to to make things right with with children that are in situations that are just untenable. And so um, there's a few pictures that will show you what we did. uh, um, Several people did this past week. Uh, They they did bulletin boards. The school hadn't started. When does the school start? Is it this week? Tuesday. Tuesday. So bulletin boards and a couple of doors they decorated. And you might think, oh my gosh, why are we doing, why are we spending money and effort doing that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because children who um, experience a pleasant environment find it easier to learn. We want to get them out of the environment that they experience outside of school and into something different to be able to give them the opportunity to learn. We know, we, and I've shared the stat before, there is a direct correlation, and this is a, a legitimate study that's well trusted. There is a direct correlation between third grade reading level and future chances of incarceration. Now, some of you that went to the school last year um, read with uh, uh, the children, and um, there was one young girl named uh, Kaya that maybe you read with. And Kaya, a few weeks ago, Kaya was washing her mother's car with her. How old? Third grade. Third grade. There it is. Washing her car with her mother, and she felt an asthma attack. And she says, Mom, I, I need my inhaler. And Mom runs into the house and comes back out. I'm assuming by then Kaya has collapsed. They call 911. Emergency services show up 17 minutes later. Kaya's gone. Folks, back in October, a year ago, I had a heart event. I think emergency services took maybe three minutes. If Kaya had lived in another neighborhood. So we want to show children the possibility, the opportunity they might have to learn so that they can either escape the neighborhood that they're in or transform the neighborhood that they're in. Maybe even a better choice, right? So that children like Kaya don't suffer needlessly. I, I think it's so important for us to consider where our treasure is. And then think about where our heart, we really want it to be. And if it is that you learn and grow in your faith in Jesus Christ, which I think it should be, then I hope that financially your heart is here and your treasure is as well. And if it's at Merrimack School or if it's Compassion International or the Alzheimer's Association or cancer or heart disease or whatever, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves those who are generous in heart and life. Amen and amen.